We're going to jump into God's word. I love, I love so much the fact that we've gathered together here. Uh, the fact that we're gathering in campuses, we're gathering um, in watch parties, we're gathering online, all of us coming together. And we have this thing that we'll say here at Fresh Life that we, um, we gather on the weekends so that we can scatter during the week. Take the, the hope, the light, the love that we have in Jesus and bring it to the people in our lives. We're doing that today and I absolutely love it. And uh, today we're going to be jumping into God's word. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Philippians the book of Philippians, if you don't have a Bible or you showed up today, you didn't have anything, you're brand new, you just showed up, um, I'd say don't worry about it, don't sweat it, because we're going to take everything that I read in here, we're going to put it up on the screen so you can follow along. But if you have a Bible or a phone with a Bible on it, go ahead and turn to Philippians. And while you do, I want to tell you about my friend Cole. My friend Cole, he's a friend of mine from Jackson. Um, he is incredibly athletic. He works out all the time. His muscles are the size of my head. And, um, and he loves snowboarding more than probably any person I've ever met in my life. This is the kind of guy who feels like summer is an inconvenience to his snowboarding season. Who thinks like that? Like, nobody thinks like that, but this guy legitimately feels like, oh, wait, summer can be enjoyed? I didn't realize that. And, um, and so, I mean, obviously, at, at this point... Um, you know, we are in the winter season. There's, there's no question about it. Um, we have had a little bit of a slow start here in the northern Rockies and in Canada. But at this point, man, we've got snow coming down everywhere. There's certain resorts that have had days that they couldn't even open because of how much snow was coming down. And, uh, you know, if you... If you're not ready for it or you don't know how to enjoy it, then the climate, this kind of winter climate, will utterly destroy you. Uh, this, is, this is the kind of deal where, um, you know, it's, you went to shovel your driveway and then two hours later, all of your work is gone. You know, now you have to get into a whole spacesuit just to go take the trash out. And um, I, I, the other day, I missed my connecting flight to Salt Lake City. Why? Because it was negative 12 degrees in Jackson. They, they pushed our airplane out into the runway and they couldn't start the engines for an hour and a half. They couldn't turn the engines on because of how cold it was, right? Um, you have, uh, I mean, you're, 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 the roads are sketchy, your brakes don't work, your, your energy bill goes through the roof, and all of these things keep compounding and it just feels like, like, like it'll just chew you up and spit you out. Enter Cole, my snowboarding friend with that silly grin on his face and his ridiculous affinity for puns, and he has a fever. And the only cure is more snowboards, right? Of which he has seven. And uh, he actually told me the other day that he had bought uh, an extra set of bindings for his split board. Now, is that because Cole needs another set of bindings? No, one set of bindings will do just fine but Cole wants so desperately for the people in his life to be, ex be able to experience the joy of, of riding those crazy deep pal days in the backcountry that he would be willing to save his own hard-earned cash to buy something that he doesn't need so that everybody else can experience what he gets to find joy in. You could say that Cole has found the antidote for winter death. 
And I think we're going to see a little bit of, of, of that aspect here in this passage uh, where Paul is going to unearth this incredible um, ancient just truths that I feel like is incredibly relevant to us here in the 21st century today. And we're going to be studying that in a message that I'm calling Anxiety's Antidote. So if you're taking notes, the title of my message is Anxiety's Antidote. We're going to start here in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 9. I'm going to read this. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. Can we pray together? God, only you can do what you can do. In this moment, we've come together as the church. Uh, we've sung out your praise. We've said hello to each other. We, we are in this moment now where we're, we're in your word, this incredible book full of truth that's alive and breathing like no other book ever written in human history. And, and in this moment, God, we're just, we give this time to you and we ask that you would just, like the songs that we've sung, just you would breathe on this moment. You would inspire us, you would encourage us, you would challenge us so that we could draw closer to you and we could be a bright shining light to the people in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I feel like in this, in this section of scripture, Paul um, unveils a pretty powerful truth that I feel like it, it, it counteracts uh, what I feel like is one of the greatest epidemics of our day, and that is anxiety, right? If you're a human being, you feel it. It's, it's coming from every front. That, that's a hungry beast that's being fed by everything in our lives from every direction. Um, the fact that 2022 is synonymous with 2020 also, right? <laughs> the, the fact that, I don't know, um, economies are on the verge of collapse. There's division rolling through um, our countries. There's the, uh, the endless scrolling, the comparison game, the fear of rejection, um, the finances that you're trying to keep up with, but you can't. There's the, 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 the bad decisions you made and the weight of regret and all of these things compounding in such a way that it feels like you're just drowning, you're just, and, 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 and your heart, your heart checks out and your body freaks out and your mind just spirals out of control and it can feel like you're just left with this utter sense of hopelessness. But Paul says that there is hope. Paul says there is a remedy that he wants you to experience. In the same way that Cole wants you to experience the joy and the freedom, Paul is saying, man, there is joy and freedom in the midst of this difficulty, he wants us to see it. We're gonna, we're gonna digest this section of scripture 
We're going to break it down into seven different parts, okay? Seven different action steps for the seven snowboards of coal. And um, because seven's an awesome number and it just works really well, okay? But don't be overwhelmed by the number of steps because we're going to see at the end of this that it's a lot simpler than we can make it out to be. So what I want to know is, um, are you with me? Are you ready for this? You ready to do this? Okay, we're going to dive into this together and we're going to watch God work in a beautiful way. So it starts off here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now rejoice, that's kind of a curious word. You don't really hear that very often except in the context of church world, right? You, you wouldn't hear your father say like, rejoice, young people of my lineage, for our supper is ready, right? You wouldn't hear that. We just don't, don't talk like that. Um, when I think of the word rejoice, I think of this little Baptist church that I used to go to when I was a kid, and they had these, these huge velvet purple banners that hung from the walls with embroidered words that said rejoice on it, right? Rejoice, what a strange word, but what does it mean? It means, means these two words together. You ready? Rejoice means take delight. Take delight. Now, I made a list of some things that I find delightful, okay? Just as a point of reference, um, eating Thanksgiving dinner is so delightful. I love that so much. Watching a movie in a movie theater, right? Yes, you can do it at home, but there's something special about those subs in the movie theater. Um, watching my kids laugh together uncontrollably. Um, they fight all the time. They share a bedroom right now, which is chaos. Um, but they get into these laughing fits where they're literally rolling over, and you can't help but smile. You just watch it happen, and you're just like, this is hilarious. Um, chopping firewood, starting a fire in a sto stove on a snowy day, that's delightful. Cup of coffee after you wake up. The, the cup of coffee after you wake up is a special one because it's not just the one that you're grabbing. It's the one that you hold with two hands, right? There's a sense of reverence with the one. The, right after you wake up, right? Double rainbows, those are exciting. I don't know why, we just get excited when we see them. It's like, no, it's a full double rainbows. Baptisms, man, that, that's like the kind that you enjoy with a little tear in the side of your, in your eye. Those are beautiful. Listening to a great song, which I'll do over and over and over again. My dog, when I get home, she's not wagging her tail. Her tail is wagging her entire body, right? She's just, there's like the love that comes from that animal that you can't understand. Uh, driving with the windows down, I love it, especially if it's cold. You turn the heat on and then you turn the windows down. There's just something about that. I don't know. I love it. Catching up with an old friend, making a good decision when it could have gone the other way. I feel like that's delightful. Like, I did it. I actually did it. I, I didn't screw up this time. Uh, receiving a gift, uh, or even more delightful, giving a gift, right? These are delightful things, but here's the thing. You have to... You have to make a decision to enjoy it. In other words, it takes action on your part. I can experience all these things and just miss it. For me, I actually have to take delight in them. I have to recognize that this moment is beautiful and I have to take it for myself. Um, this, is, this is a decision that you make to enjoy, but Paul's not just talking about enjoying life, okay? The point isn't just go and enjoy life. No, he has a greater challenge. What do he say? Rejoice in the Lord. This is, this is you enjoying God. I love that the scripture talks about how Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, and yes, he's woven all these beautiful experiences together for us, but he has more in store for us. God, 
God stands alone as the only one who can both satisfy you completely and still leave you longing for more. So what does it mean to enjoy God? Well, in the spirit of snowboarding, uh, last year I actually ended up getting a season pass. I haven't had a season pass in who knows how long. And I got a season pass and it was like, man, I'm just going to try to like go. My goal was every day I'm going to get up to the mountain, go for a couple hours, and then try to get back so I can get to work. And, and after a while, the mountain becomes familiar. You know it. You know your runs. You have your rhythms. And every day there's good days and there's bad days. But then there was that one day. There's that one day, that, and you can hear it. It's having the same impact on everybody through all the yelps, yeet, and all the things that you're hearing echoing through the woods on the mountainside, right? This was the 16-inch day, and it was snowing like inches upon inches every minute. Every, every lift you went, you came down, you had a whole new trail in front of you. And the trails that I was riding, they were the same that they've always been, except they were sprinkled with magic, and I remember as I'm coming down one of these trails and my snowboard just floating in between the trees, aggressively steep, and I, re I remember just shouting out, Jesus, what in the world? This is amazing. I'm all by myself, and I'm just coasting through the woods. And so if you would have been in a near ear sight of me, you would have heard this guy like, Jesus, ah, right? It was a beautiful moment for me to enjoy, for me to experience, but it didn't just stop there. Instead, I took delight in the Lord, the one who crafted this moment, the one who put the snow on the ground and put me in that place so that I can enjoy this. And I just, what did I do? I just gave glory back. It's, it's the same thing as singing those songs. God, look at what you've done. This is beautiful. This is amazing. Thank you. Right? That's, what, that's kind of an idea of what it looks like to take delight in God. The, the beautiful thing is with God, there's endless delight for forever. It never stops. Look at this verse in, in Psalm 47.3. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So what does your heart want? Wants to be full, wants to feel alive, wants to be free, right? God is able to give you all of those things because, like I said, he is the only one who can satisfy those things in you. And what I love so much is that he, he doesn't just like you, he loves you. He, he, he knows the things that you're scared about. He knows the things that you're encouraged by. He knows your good days and your bad days. He knows your idiosyncrasies. He knows everything that makes you because he crafted you in the womb and he loves you. He made you and he called it good. He wants you to be able to experience him. He enjoys you and he wants us to enjoy him. So that first thing, what are you gonna do? You're gonna take it. You're gonna take delight in God. This is the second thing in verse five. It says this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Second point, own it. So not only are we going to take delight in God, but we're going to take it and we're going to own it. We're going to make it our own. It, it, notice what he says. He says, whose reasonableness? Your reasonableness. He's not talking about anybody else, right? He's not comparing you to, he's talking about you. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. That word can also be translated gentleness, right? The, 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 uh, the ability to show kindness. There's no doubt that there's a significant amount of tension in our world today, right? Media exacerbates the fact that, you know, they're just pitting us against each other. And, 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 and Paul, he was no stranger to division. He's like, look, there's Jews against Greeks, 
There's men against women. There's slaves against free. He was no stranger to any of it, but that wasn't what defined him. Instead, he tried to be reasonable with everybody. He says this in, in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 9. It says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul did not identify himself with one way or another. Instead, he, he identified in who he was set in, what he was standing on. And what was that? That is Jesus Christ. That was God himself. And from there, what happened, he had the ability to have impact, to, have, to, to, to be a blessing. There's another church word, blessing. What is a blessing? It's something beneficial that somebody, that someone would be grateful for, right? He was able to be a blessing. That blessing, it doesn't start with you. It stems from you. It starts with God, and it overflows from you. You know, sometimes I feel like the, the best thing that we can do is agree to disagree. My wife, she is a firecracker. Um, there have been many moments over the course of the 16 years that we have been married where we have vehemently disagreed with each other. But that doesn't mean that we can't do life together, right? And, and, and in a lot of ways, our disagreements make us stronger. So imagine that. Imagine your disagreements being able to strengthen your relationships. We... we what happens when your differences make you stronger is um, that you just, you're able to accomplish more. There's, there's, there's things that we wouldn't be able to do alone that we can do together. But the thing is that it has to start with God and then it has to flow from you. That's, that's where the impact comes from. Um, I'm not cool by any sense of the imagination. Um, and I would never know this phrase had I not had teenagers um, but there is this idea of your drip. What is, what is the drip, okay? Your drip is your outfit. It's your wardrobe. This is my drip, right? I've got my hoodie and my cool flannel, my Levi's, my shoes. This is my drip. And I, I, I love the idea of what this conveys because I feel like it lines up with this perfectly. Look at this in, in Proverbs 4.23. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, as, as God becomes, as you own this delight that you have with God, as you own this relationship that you have with God, you end up overflowing with who he is and you literally leave a trail of grace behind you. That's what it looks like to be reasonable. That's what it looks like to be gentle and kind, but it's not what you do. It doesn't have anything to do with what you do. It has everything to do with what God does through you and spills out of you. And I love what he says here. He says, the Lord is at hand. Well, of course he is because he's in you, because he's seasoned you with grace. Uh, it, 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 it reminds me of the, the story of my friend Savannah in Jackson. She had just put her dad um, in an ambulance that was getting life lighted to um, the University of Utah and he was sick with COVID and she's, this is like two o'clock in the morning and she's wandering around downtown Jackson, just heartbroken, devastated about what was going to happen to her dad. And there was this guy who saw that she was distressed, also walking around downtown Jackson at two o'clock in the morning. And he went over and he prayed for her. He's like, can I just pray for you? 
And he, he did. And that night, Savannah told me that an angel had showed up in downtown Jackson and prayed for her, which is amazing. The only thing is that angel had a name, and it was Kyrie. I know because I met Kyrie two months later. Turns out he's just a regular guy who happened to be down there. But what happened? That grace that he owned, man, it was spilling out of him. The Lord was near to Savannah that night because he was overflowing from Kyrie. So not only are we going to take delight in God, and not only are we going to own it, but we're going to go on to the next thing, which is this. We're going to bring it. Bring it. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, in your hearts, let your requests be made known to God. Now, word of caution here. I'm going to say some things that can be quite challenging. And all I'm asking is that you would be receptive to receive what maybe God is trying to speak to us and maybe speak to you specifically. But my hope is in this that you would see the overflow of love that's coming out of my own heart, my desire for you, for us as a church, from a pastor. What does Paul say? Do not be anxious. In other words, anxiousness, anxiety, is a state of being. It's not who you are. You could say, I am anxious. No, you're not. You are being anxious. What is anxiousness? It's full of mental distress, unease, fear of danger, great worry. What happened was you, you filled up on distress. You filled up on all the things that are causing this anxiousness in you. And what does Paul say? Stop doing that. Stop doing it. Do not be anxious. The thing is, being anxious is a choice. You have a lot more control over your anxiety than you think. Let me illustrate it with this. So I used to be the worship pastor for Fresh Life Church. I used to stand on the stage and I used to lead worship every single weekend for multiple gatherings. And, you know, I would get to the point where um, by the end of the last few gatherings, my voice just wasn't hanging anymore. It just kept croaking. I just, I, it was falling apart. And, and the frustrating thing is I was doing everything right. I'm in the back of the room. I got plenty of sleep. I'm warming up my voice. I'm doing all these things. But every single time without fail, we got to the end of the, 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 the last gathering and my voice just couldn't hang. And, and I got frustrated and I went to the doctor and I said, hey, what's the deal? And so they stuck a, a camera down my throat. And they made an interesting discovery. Turned out I was dealing with extreme heartburn. My, my, my heartburn had completely railed my, my esophagus. It was all burned up and it was overwhelmed with swelling. And so by the time I, I came to, to sing, I, I, I couldn't do it. I was, all, I was already behind before we even, even started. And what did the doctor do? Well, he, he subscribed for me the purple pill, right? But I didn't want to just treat the symptoms. I wanted to stop the problem. And so what did I do? I went home and I did my research and it turns out that the problem stemmed from overeating and not enough water. My wife, on Saturday, she goes all out. She makes these crazy, amazing meals. And if you're like me, you just, you eat too much. And that's a message for another time. 
Um, but I just would, and then, and then I'd wake up the next morning and I'd be experiencing heartburn. Turns out all I had to do was fix the problem. Stop eating too much. Eat less. Get, drink more water. Go to sleep. I, I could have identified myself as the heartburn guy. Well, I guess I'm the heartburn guy now. You know, I guess that's just how it is. I'm going to have to be able to take these things in order to, to remedy this. But no, I decided to change what I was filling up with so that I could sing and do what God had called me to do. Man, David did this. David did the same thing. Look at this, Psalm 42. Um, it says, why, he's speaking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. David had every reason to be stressed. He was being wrongfully hunted down to be murdered. And yet, even in the midst of that, he made a decision to fill up on what he knew was good. He made a decision to continue to move forward in, in, in just trusting God. How do you do that? Okay, so let's go to the second half of that verse. It says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So in what? In everything, in all of the things, in every aspect of your life, you just bring it to God. And supplication, what does supplication mean? It's a humble petition. In other words, you have the right to veto your situation, right? But it's done in a spirit of thankfulness. That's what, that's what Paul did. He's like... Ah, I, I wish this could be different. Nonetheless, I will rejoice. Why? Because I will experience my God. He trusted God, but you have the ability to veto. If anything, God wants you to bring that to him, right? It's, it's a veto that's rooted in thankfulness. It's hard to be overwhelmed when you're thankful. When you look at your situation and you just think like, you know, things went a little sideways, but look at, look at what I have. Look at what he's done, even in the midst of this. It was a choice. Um, I, I love how Paul encourages the, the, uh, Thess the church in Thessalonica. He says in verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians, always, or verse, chapter 5, verse 16, always be joyful, never stop praying. That's not a suggestion. Always be joyful, never stop praying. And what happens when you do that? Right? When you bring these things to God, right? we've taken our delight and we've owned it. And now the things that we're frustrated with, man, the things that we want to see change, God, we're going to bring that to you. What does he do? God will, this is number four, guard it. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a peace that you can't understand. What is God's peace? He knows everything. He knows the beginning and he knows the end. He knows everything in between. Nothing catches him by surprise. He, he has a peace that we can't understand. It's like taking my kids on the Tower of Terror at California Adventure. They were young. They had no idea what was going on. You know, it was at the point where it's like, man, this lion is freaking us out. They wanted to bail like a good father. Kevin pushed them in. And we, we end up going on this ride and we go up to the top. And what happens is the bottom drops out and you fall like a sack of bricks. And, and I know what's going to go on, right? I saw the people smiling on the way out. Disney doesn't want to be sued if something malfunctions. And so I, I, what do I do? I put the thinking face on. 
right? Because I know that camera's gonna take a picture at some point and I wanna be caught making the thinking face. Um, my children, on the other hand, uh, issued blood-curdling screams because they thought it was the end of their lives. Right? And it was so funny when we get down to the bottom and the door is open, you see the cast member right there um, who actually broke character, burst out laughing because of the abject terror that came from our side of this ride. They were terrified, but they'd had no idea what was going on. We don't see the full picture. In fact, there was one moment where Jesus told his disciples, talking about their friend Lazarus, who had just died. He told them, like, he died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you would believe. What a weird thing to say. I'm so glad that I wasn't there because I could have done something in the moment, you know, but he says, but for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't. Why? Because Jesus saw the full picture. He saw the whole thing. He knew that in a moment they would go see Lazarus once again. Why? Because he would call him out of the grave. He knew that's where the peace of God comes from. The peace of God is like the Liam Neeson for your soul. Okay, you're getting attacked on every side, but he is going to do everything he can to take you back. That is the peace of God. And, and it's only made possible through Jesus. Jesus, the one who conquered the grave, right? What is the, the, what is the greatest thing we could ever be afraid of? Death, losing our life. But we don't have to be afraid. Why? Because Jesus conquered the grave. He conquered the grave, and he's taken away our greatest sense of fear. He's made it possible. And Jesus actually says this. This is from his mouth. He says, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So what does God do? Well, he promises he'll guard it. And you would think that that would be enough. You'd think like, okay, like we've gotten to the end of the message. This is great. This is amazing. Uh, but God, or, but Paul recognizing the fact that we are human beings and we have thick skulls and it's not easy for to, us to get the things that we need to into our brains, he takes it a step further. In Philippians 4a, what does he say? He says, finally, brothers, the, the words that you hope to hear Sometimes at the end of the message, finally, okay, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, you have to think it. That's number five. Think it. Paul is calling us to change the way that we think. There's a phrase that's been developed in the science community as of late, you know, for a large part of recent scientific history. We've thought that once you hit puberty or once you finish puberty, that your brain stops developing. Yes, there might be a little bit more development that happens, you know, through your early 20s or whatever. But for the most part, whatever you have, that's set in stone. Um, but we've realized in the last you know, a few years that nothing could be further from the truth, right? Leave it to science sometimes to be like, this is what it is. Okay, we were wrong. Um, and, and there's this word that has been developed that describes it. That word is neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is, it's the brain's ability to form and reorganize synaptic connections. And this can happen whether you're old or whether you're young. At any time, you can cut new trails in your mind. I'm living proof of this. In, 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 in the theme of sevens, seven years ago, I experienced what is called a transient ischemic attack, which is also known as a mini stroke. 
What happened was a blood clot from somewhere slipped through this hole that I have in my heart, shot up into my brain, and caused all kinds of havoc. And it's a humbling thing when your neurologist shows you pictures of your brain, right? And he says, see those, see those dark spots, right? Let's go to the next one. See, see those dark spots in your brain? That's the part of your brain that is dead. You will never get that back. That is gone forever. But what's amazing about the brain is that the other parts of your brain will learn how to do the things that those parts of the brain controlled. So what was the effect for me? Well, I lost the ability to talk. I couldn't speak. It was such a weird feeling. The only way I could describe it is, is, it, is like trying to find, like knowing what you want to say, but trying to find the first word in the sentence that you're trying to start, but you can't start a sentence without its first word, and so you just can't say anything. And so that began the process of what? Neuroplasticity, right? My brain learning how to do the things that it used to do so easily. The tracks got cut in half, and I, I had to start cutting new tracks. And the thing is, it worked. How, 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 do, how do you do that? Well, right now, how do we do that in this time? Well, it's time to rewire our brains. This is how you do it. What does he say? You think it. Whatever's true, right? We live in the age of misinformation. You can't trust anything that you read on the internet anymore. But God is absolute truth. He's true to who he is. He's true to what he does. He's true to what he's doing. His word is true. You get in this book and you read it and you allow it to fill you up. Whatever's honorable. You don't, I like to think about it this way. I'm just going to try to not dwell on what's dishonorable. <laughs> that might be easier to think of than trying to think of what's honorable because I want the, the pathways of my imagination. I want to make good decisions even in my mind. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, morality can be screwed, but God is not. Skewed, sorry. Morality can be skewed, but God is not. He is both loving and he is just. Um, like a, like a, a parent who disciplines their child, he loves them, but the best thing he can do is be just. Whatever is pure. If you fill your mind with trash, then you will feel like trash. If you think about what brings you life, then you will be filled with life. Whatever is lovely. I think of my daughter with a flower in her hair. I think of, of going on a beautiful hike. I think of my wife on date night on the other side of the table, right? These things are lovely. I want to be thinking about them. Whatever's commendable, what's worthy of admiration, find the good in people. It's really easy to find the bad in people. But what if you made a habit? What if you cut a new pathway that, that's always seeking to find the good in the people around you, especially in your kids? Man, if you can find the good things, to find the gold nuggets that are coming out of your kids and encourage those, that's just going to cement those beautiful qualities in who they are. Um, if there's any excellence, I love this because the, like, there's just a high level of excellence is inspiring. and It'll put a smile on your face. If there's anything praiseworthy, well, I don't know, look around. Is there a coworker that's absolutely slaying the game? Is, uh, did, did, did you take notice of that person that had that random act of kindness? Just be aware of what's going on around you. Anything praiseworthy? Man, even God himself. Just think about those things. I love the encouragement that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians. He says, keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you got. Be resolute and love without stopping the more effort you put in 
to rewiring your brain, to rewiring the way that you think, the more healing that you're undoubtedly going to experience. And he leaves us with this last thing. In verse 9, it says, What you have learned and, and have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. Follow Paul's example. Look, you, you saw it, you learned from it, you heard about it from me. Now go practice it. How did Paul get there? He got there by practice, 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 practice. In other words, he was, he's not perfect, but he kept practicing these things. Pastor Levi said this before, practice doesn't make perfect. What is it? It makes permanent. And so we have gotten so good at practicing the things that fill us with distress that we've been engulfed in overwhelming anxiety, but it's time to practice something different. It's time for a change. Practice kindness in the way that you deal with people. Practice uh, bringing those frustrations to God. Practice the art of controlling your mind and cutting new paths uh, and watch as God just begins to smother your anxiety. This isn't just positive thinking, okay? This is an aggressive charge to reignite our hearts. This is a systematic initiative to win back our minds, a strategic retaliation to protect our souls. This is not defense. This is a counteroffensive that's being led by God himself. And so the only thing that's left for us to do is to, last point, do it. You just got to do it. What, what happens after this point, right? We all grab our things. We get our stuff. We high five and we hug and we say goodbye. We close our computers. We go on with the rest of our life. But unless we do something about it, then none of this means anything. You actually have to take a step. Maybe you need to pull out your phone and be like, hey, Siri. Oh, um, person in my phone, you know, um, remind me that I need to do this thing. Remind me that I need to talk to my friend Chris about how exactly I'm going to make this happen. Uh, the, the, the thing is, yes, there's all of these beautiful ways that we can do this, but you just have to do something about it. God knew that, that this would be a struggle for us even 2,000 years later, but he's given us everything that we need to combat it. He's given us everything that we need to overcome it. And so my question is, will you take advantage of it? You just have to do it. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this time that we've been able to experience as your church. Opening this truth that is so full of life, so encouraging, so hope-filled that, that we can't help but be changed by it. And Lord, I just pray that in this moment, for myself, for our church, for every individual that's listening to these things, that's taking them in, I pray, God, that, that there would be a change. I pray that there would be something significant, something different that happens inside of us. And so, God, we give you our lives, and we pray that you would be the one who completely eradicates anxiety, that when anxiousness starts filling us up and we start getting filled with distress, that we would trust our situation in your hands. We'd be full of gratitude and thankfulness, God, that we would think the things that you want us to be dwelling on and that you would change the game. And if you're here today and, and, um, and this is new and you've never experienced this before, um, like I said earlier, it starts with Jesus. 
It starts with Jesus, and from there, God is able to do beautiful things. But if, if you want to grow in this relationship with God in that way, then, then it's very simple. All you need to do is just trust your life in his hands. What Jesus did through the cross, through his death, his burial, his resurrection coming out of that, right? Thank God that stone was rolled away. What he accomplished there, he did for you so that you would know the power of God in your life, so that you would have the ability to, to, to know who God is and be close to him. And if you've never made that decision to do that, man, it is so easy to do that. All you have to do is pray a prayer, just saying, God, thank you for what you've done. I'm trusting my life in your hands. And if you want, if you want to do that, if you want this Jesus to be in your life, if you want to hand your life over to him, then uh, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. This is just a moment. This is not a magical prayer. These aren't incredible, you know, ornate words. This is just your heart before God saying, I need you. Yes, I'm overwhelmed with anxiety and it feels hopeless, but I need you. I'm willing to just give my life to you. So if that's you, you want to do that in this moment, then go ahead and pray this with me. And our whole church, we're all going to pray this together just so that you know that we have your back in this moment. But if that's you, just pray this. Thank you, God. I give you my life. I pray that you would move in me, that you would change me and make me more like you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for giving me new life. I pray that I would walk in it for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. In the spirit of prayer, if you made that decision, what I want you to do is I'm going to give you an opportunity to just kind of draw a line in the sand saying, okay, this happened on January 2nd, 2022, when I decided to give my life to Jesus. And if, if you made, if you said that prayer and you want to make a decision, what I want you to do is on the count of three, I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, I want you to shoot up your hand to just be like, yes, that is me, God, I've given you in my life. So if that's you in this moment, Raise your hand when I count to three. Ready? One, two, three. Hands up. Hands up if you've made that decision. For all of you who are online, I can't see you, but God sees you. And we are excited for you as a church. This is the best decision that you'll ever make.